All righty, friends. It's that time once again because you hit play on another super happy fun time episode <laughs> of the Radio Kevin. Oh, my goodness. Super happy fun time episode. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Osti, joined as always by our esteemed co host, Mr. Mike Hubal Clark. And you did hear another laugh in the background. And that is that we have a, a very special guest joining us uh, in our virtual studio this time, uh, the lovely and talented <laughs> Kelly Osti. Yay! Hey guys. <laughs> Thanks for uh, letting me participate. Well, I am so happy that you decided to participate today. <laughs> See what happens when you listen? Yeah. <laughs> I think I got caught listening, and then I got put on. I was voluntold that I was going to be on a podcast today. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what happened. You said, boy, that show is so much fun. I'd love to be part of that. Somehow somehow I have a problem believing Kelly Elsie was voluntold anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is correct. Uh, so we will uh, uh, qualify our guest. Uh, Kelly, of course, is the operations manager at the V8 Speed and Resto Shop, um, and also my lovely wife and uh, a loyal loyal listener to this show. But um, the the unfortunate or the fortunate thing is that you don't seem to be a loyal listener out of obligation. Oh no, it's very funny, and I always want to know if Mike got his car running. <laughs> One of these times, you're going to hear the answer to that be yes. The yeah. other thing I listen for is what part does Mike need next? Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, Did you hear what he just said? He said the answer, you'll, you'll hear the answer to that BS is what uh-huh. I heard. <laughs> 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 little Freudian thing. Yep. You're right, right, right. Uh, but for those who uh, have heard this show before, you know that uh, – the handful of listeners that return each time uh, come back primarily because of the uh, automotive sort of related trivia question. And because we have a guest, um, did you, uh, uh, Kelly, did you prepare a trivia questions you're going to throw in the mix and try and stump Mike? I did. Uh-huh. Do you want to hear it? Well, uh, I guess being the guest and, la- and the lady, you go first. Ladies okay. first. Uh, the question is, what company did Henry Ford need to get permission from to use Mercury as a model name? What God. the heck? <laughs> You've been talking to Trevor. Uh-uh. I knew I wanted it to be about Mercury. Trevor led me down the line of a Mercury-type topic. Uh, well, remind me to whoop Trevor's ass next time I see him. <laughs> Uh, well, Mike, I'm going to let you handle this one first. <laughs> oh, that's, you're the best, Kev. <clears throat> you couldn't handle it first, so I can't just agree with you. Like, that's exactly uh, yeah, what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. well, neither one of us are going to get this right. So. That's great. All right. What, so what company did Henry Ford need permission in order to use the Mercury name? That was the question? Yes. Okay. Uh he needed to get permission from um, Firestone. <laughs> Firestone owned the Mercury name. Okay. And that's that's a fact. Oh, okay. And it's going to be a painful one when I find out I'm wrong. Yeah. We'll figure that out, won't we? And uh, yeah, so we got permission from Firestone because they were they were chums. 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 Okay. They were. Okay. Right on. They, were. they were good friends. Where do you oh. think it came from? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, okay. So my my assumption is, I don't know that Firestone was around before Henry Ford making tires. Were they? So I don't, I, I don't know about the Firestone thing. That's my guess. I only know the answer to this question, not sure. all of your others. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, um, but you're gonna you're gonna be subject to Mike's and mine also. So don't think you're getting. I know. I'm not gonna know the answer to those mm-hmm. at all. Okay. So can I Google it? My uh, my theory here is that um, it was a company that was far larger than Ford, perhaps. Otherwise, Henry Ford probably wouldn't have cared. He wouldn't have asked for permission. He would have said, I'm I'm bigger than you are. I don't really care. And in those days, so when did Mercury come out? Mercury came out in the 30s, I'm pretty sure, late, mid-30s, with the Zephyr and with the... The, the Mercury or Lincoln was a Zephyr at that point. So Mercury came out in the late thirties, early forties, <clears throat> or maybe immediately post world war two. So the only thing I can think of at that point was there was a thing called the Mercury theater, which was like a, an entertainment company. Oh, kind of like universal studios. Okay. And, and, and that is my guess <laughs> that he, uh, he had to ask them, uh, because uh, I don't think Freddie was born yet, so that's my guess. <laughs> I, I want I want to change my answer, please. Change my answer. <laughs> to what? <laughs> well, what, what what he said. See, I'm not sure about this one because no, no, no. We're, we're recording this using Skype technology this time, and we can all see each other even though we're not in the same room. And sh- Kelly does not have much of a poker face. That's why I'm trying to cover it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think I got it right because I'm, I'm not seeing the uh, I'm not seeing the look. Well, that's funny because if you recall, back in the early days of V8 Radio, I had zero poker face when you were getting my questions right. <laughs> I laughed all the time. <laughs> oh my god, it was brutal. Like, how does this guy know this? Jesus. Well, I, mean, I could see it in your face. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay. I've s- since learned to to. Boop. Keep it quiet. Yeah, not not so much. But that's okay. You do, you do a good job of it. <laughs> I just learned that, you know, sometimes people can hear uh, hear Mike drinking his adult beverages during uh-huh. the show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Osty. Uh, okay, so that's my final answer. Okay, who's next? Uh, how about uh, Mike? Okay, Mike will go next. This is going to be... Short, sweet, simple, to the point. Can you tell me the firing order of a small block Chevrolet? Oh, no, I forgot. (laughs) Who who are you asking first? I feel like it's 8375. I don't know. I I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to get it out of order. Kevin knows it by heart. Can I go? So, go so your it. answer is I don't know. That's, I, I, that's not I, an acceptable answer. I need eight numbers. <laughs> yes, because there's never been an I don't know on this show. No. There's been a lot of wrong answers. Uh, oh, a lot of wrong answers. But I don't know doesn't qualify. No. Nope. I feel like it's eight, three, four, five, seven, two. I don't know how many numbers am I at right now. <laughs> You're at six numbers. Five. I'm missing five and. No, you said two. five. Oh, See? <laughs> Family show, Kelly. Family show. Yeah, yeah. You have to You're going to edit that, Edit right? this one, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I needed time to Google this. 
No, there's no cheating on this show. <laughs> this is this is either you know it or you can't remember, and you you might know it, and it'll come to you later. That's happened many times. Yeah, I I'm not gonna know it, so just skip me. Go on, Osti. Rattle it off like you know, like French or something. I that's a thing. I don't I don't know French. Mike, were you able to pencil in a couple of the last two numbers on that one? Or? I, I I have. Eight, three, four, five, seven, two, dot, dot, dot. I think that's a phone number, isn't it? I forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. do that. Let's do that. <laughs> it's like the, take the nine and move it to a one or something. Okay. Uh, my guess is it's one, eight, four, three, six, five, seven, two. Four, three, six, five, seven, two. Kevin says, "I don't know where you came up with that nonsense." Oh, but, yeah. uh, he knew it. Yeah. We'll knew find out at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I might have gotten that confused uh, with a Buick, you know, but we'll see. Right, or a Pontiac. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right on. Okay. Well, I All also right, prepared a little trivia question as well. How fortunate for us. <laughs> yes. Well, I thought you know. It's only fair because, uh, you know, you guys did it. And this one, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, has nothing to do. Uh, you know, you would think it'd be smart to make it contextual to our guest, you know, to have a trivia question that was contextual. But uh, this one is not. What's so. that going to be if we can't talk about fishing or chainsaws? Yeah. No, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm sorry. But but you can go first. All right. Ready? <clears throat> when was the first speeding ticket issued? And the bonus... <laughs> What car? <laughs> you mean between you and I, or in history? <laughs> it was it was Kelly was the person. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, are you suggesting the... she knows something about speeding and speeding tickets? <laughs> yes. I told you this is not contextual. <laughs> not at all. In the U.S. Uh, first in the US. speeding ticket. When and where? When and the bonus is uh, what? Uh, what vehicle? Okay. All right. Even just speeding... each, what type of vehicle would, would be okay, okay for the bonus? Um, huh. First, all right, who wants? You're going to take a stab at this first. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say when the first speeding ticket was issued. I'm going to say. I, I know it was fairly early on in the in the days of the automobile. Um, but the 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 year. 1902 comes to mind what? for some reason. Wow. Oh, yeah. 1902. <clears throat> 1902. That's okay. right when uh, Henry Ford had to get permission from Firestone to make Mercury. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I remember a previous podcast where you guys talked about the You remember those? Speed limit. <laughs> the speed limit being legally 55 miles an hour. Mm. So mm. could they have given a speeding ticket before there was a speed limit? That is a philosophical question. Uh huh. Which came so, first, the, the ticket or the egg? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say I don't remember the year that the stupid speed limit came in because that's just dumb. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to say 1962. Wow. <clears throat> And it was in a something that goes fast 
in six well, days. Yeah, you would think. <clears throat> A Daytona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are both wrong answers, Mike. In case you couldn't tell. <laughs> I could not tell. I could not. Tell. I, I don't. I don't know what a wrong answer sounds like. Uh, huh. Unless you're saying it, I think. Unless I'm saying it. Yeah. I don't listen to myself. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> 1962 in some form of a Daytona. Yeah. Uh, okay. Logic there that it's fast and and whatnot. Uh, Mike, did you want to take a stab at the bonus side of the question oh. with what car? What oh, wait, car? there was probably it, no Daytona in 1962 or something silly like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pull the neck of the balloon a little harder, Osti. Um, it was. You didn't a, say um, it's your final answer, so you you could retract at this point. What uh, the car that it was in? I'll say it, it was. Um, Oh, gosh. I said 1902. I can't even think of any cars except Fords. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the the brand of car. What type of car is what the question was. Oh. Oh. It was a what type of car? Uh, as far as, like, how many t- wheels it had? Like, three-wheel or four-wheel? You could do that if you want. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to just give you the answer for crying out loud. <laughs> Well, I don't know in what context you're talking about. What kind of car? A hardtop? A convertible? A steam? It was a steam car. Oh, have a nice day. Oh, wow. Have a nice day. Look at that. Look at that. A steam car. So. Mm. Nice. Take that. Cleveland Mike gives us a steamer. Yeah. God damn. That will be edited out. <laughs> a steam car is the mm. bonus. All right. Well, I'm excited to find out what the actual answer is later in the show. Okay. Likewise. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, so um, back to where we were before the uh, interruption of the whole uh, uh, trivia thing. So Kelly's joining us, and, and she is our uh, our uh, operations manager at V8 Speed and Resto, and the, the shop and your position has had quite a year over this past, uh, we'll call it, 2019 up until early 2020 yeah why don't you uh take us through a little bit of the the crazy stuff that happened i mean the biggest one being the giant expansion of the shop and the crew got bigger and and all that stuff how's it going you and mike have talked about it a few times we purchased uh the equipment of a collision shop in january and then we purchased the actual collision shop building in february of 2019 and the sole purpose I did that was for a downdraft paint booth inside the building. We could not figure out a way to put a paint booth in our existing facility. And it was right next door and modern and convenient. So we moved into there. We got working right away. Um, And we have a crew of 19. So um, somewhere along the way, I don't remember which month, but uh, we were chatting with our fabricator and he said he could also do upholstery work. And we said, what? So we Mm -hmm. expanded in the other direction down the street into a house uh, that we had currently um, already owned, but we were using just as an employee lunchroom and storage. And we turned that into an upholstery shop. And uh, um, the crew has, uh, you mentioned growing, but I think that's still the same. Well, I, I guess in December we added an employee. 
um, to our sales force and helping us uh, bring the customers in to the shop and um, work with them while they're working uh, while we're working on their car. Um, and I, for the first time in 15 years, got an office when we got the new building. Yay. So <clears throat> I have heat and air conditioning and some quiet time where I can answer the phone without Trevor hitting an impact wrench. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are some of my highlights of the year. And then a, a, just a bunch of travel for work and car shows and events. And um, the Saudi trip was a highlight too for 2019. And uh, mm-hmm. the shop is just, um, I think now at a comfy uh, growth um feel we're all filling into our positions in the shop like this is where my toolbox is going to be now and this is where this cart or bench is going to be like we like where they are now yeah Mm -hmm. um so everybody's finding their home and and i'm looking forward to 2020 i don't expect to grow in size but um i'm hoping for some really cool projects for the crew and um you know obviously the efficiency and the quality control to always keep increasing yeah, it's been uh, uh, one one heck of a year with uh, a lot of expansion and different stuff going in all directions, and it all seems to be working very well, which is uh, a tremendous testament to your ability to keep the, the lid on the pot and to keep the wheels on the bus. I give that credit to the crew for the most part. Um, they definitely keep the wheels on the bus, and we have some key employees who help the other ones learn and grow, and they work so well together. I think the wheels on the bus definitely runs towards them, not not me. I'm just kind of paying the bills and uh, <laughs> paying the taxes and managing a bunch of the operations management side of things. But uh, as far as work and the production and things like that, it, that's definitely all the crew. They're doing such a great job. Well, uh, I'll interject on that. And it, you do more than pay the bills and all that <laughs> other stuff. You you set the tone. You dictate the culture in the shop. So the way that that place is running is due to the, the two of you and your efforts. So and that's and I've said that before, and I'll keep saying it. And that's because that's how it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. I mean, yes. it, it's definitely a team approach and a team effort. Um, Kelly and I both came from corporate positions before we started this company, and we were kind of fed up with the ridiculousness of those types of environments. We didn't want to create that kind of environment, so there's far more, um, you know, encouragement of creativity and a lot of independence. And a lot of times, you know, you let the team do what they're going to do, and you mm-hmm. hope they you hope they brung enough, you know, to do it. And if they don't, we sit down and try and figure out, you know, what what needed to go differently or better. Was it a resource? Was it a practice? You know, what was it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. Everybody has a voice. Everybody's got a, a, a stake. And, and a lot of that, though, came from Kelly doing the, the monthly staff meetings and asking each team member individually. You know, it's kind of fun because there's a an anonymous form that anybody can go to online and put questions up for the company meeting right and we don't know who who says it right so there's no there's no risk of uh stress or you know right being outed or anything like that yeah yeah um sometimes though the flip side is that we have a big company meeting and kelly goes around the table and asks every single person if they have any input and Many times there's just nothing but silence. And she's like, what is it? I keep asking these guys what they want. And, and silence to me is 
kind of good, it means they're okay. You know, they, yeah. they don't really need anything else. But Right. And it's good that they do have a, a, a form, a, an avenue to convey their concerns to you anonymously and, you know, not necessarily have to, you know, do it if they don't want to, if they don't feel comfortable doing it in front of everybody. So, yeah. One of my favorite parts is in the evening after uh, everybody kind of works not a consistent eight to five, they might come in at seven and leave at four or something. Mm-hmm. So, several of the guys will just come into my office and hang out and tell me about their day or their lives or whatever's going on. And I don't know too many places where you want to do that with the boss. So, yeah, I, right I really, on. I really enjoy that. That's nice. That's killer. I love hearing that. Yeah. Nice. I don't, there hasn't been places where I've worked in the past that I wanted to do that outside of this, you know, uh-huh. same, same kind of thing. That is pretty cool. And it is an amazing contrast to think, you know, when you mentioned the first office you've had in this organization is just touching a year old right now. And we've been yeah. in business for, this is our 16th year. Yep. <laughs> um, oh boy. To, I don't know if Mike, you've seen the original location of our, our shop back on the oh, yeah. uh, on <clears throat> Kelly's family's farm. But mm-hmm. uh, Kelly, paint the picture of what it was like to have just two cars in the shop and maybe one or two people on staff and your office, desk, table. <laughs> uh, my, my desk, in quotes, uh, also merged as my bench, my workbench. So I did a lot of the paint prepping and restoration of the small parts. So I would either move them out of the way and use my laptop or put the laptop away and restore parts on the same spot. And uh, for years at that location, I could literally, without turning my body at all, put my arm behind my back and touch the car that we were working on. Oh, boy. And often that was the fabrication stall. And so if I happened to have been sitting at my desk, uh, I would often be showered by sparks or listening to a grinder constantly uh, or welding, you know, be set on fire or whatever. Um, and I loved it. It was, it was, that's where I wanted to be. I left a law firm because I couldn't stand sitting inside and just sitting still and doing paperwork. And I was able to work on a car and then do something on the computer and then go back to the car. And when we began, um, I was a fabricator. I was a mechanic. I was a body man. I I did. I didn't ever paint anything. Well, yeah, I didn't ever paint anything. That's not true because you built our first Uh, chassis jig that we still use today. You're right. You painted that. Yep. With tractor paint. It was orange. (laughs) It was a tool. (laughs) Um, But I learned how to paint. I learned how to weld um, from the very start of this company. And uh, my brother would come in and he'd spread body filler and I would sand it and he would spread it again. And I'd be like, you jerk. Uh, (laughs) But um, he taught me about how to feel the body filler and, and how to sand it and look for pinholes and feel sanding scratches and Um, know if it was going to be wavy when it got shiny stuff put on it and to pay attention to those details and fix them in the beginning instead of trying to hide them in the end and all Mm. kinds of welding techniques. And um, uh, I remember, yeah, welding safety. And and, uh, many of these cars don't come with seatbelts. And John is a a ICAR certified um, auto body technician. And he came in and said, well, if my kids are going to ride in this car, you're going to make it safe. So we had to weld to the I-car standards and we had to put, um, plates under where the seatbelts would bolt through. Otherwise the bolt would just pull through the old right. floors. 
So we learned those techniques um, as well as just keeping the car assembled straight and true and accurate and, and so many things about rust prevention and looking at why it rusted and seeing if we could seam seal it or drill a hole where moisture could get out. All those techniques I learned at the very beginning working with my brother physically working on the cars. Now it's a lot of paperwork and organization, but back then it was it was great that I got to work on the cars every day. Right on. I mean, you got to literally build this company from the ground up. Yes, yes. The very first car we did, my brother and I and my dad built the jig, and then we laid two frame rails from Classic Industries on this jig and built an entire Camaro around it from a catalog, really. Um, oh my gosh. And so that's that's where I learned all that I know now. Yeah. You know, Kelly, I, I too know how to weld. <laughs> I know just, you do. Just saying. You did a great job of it too, Mike. Well, he had a heck of a teacher. He did. He did. He did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's definitely, um, I don't want to say a textbook. You know, no, nothing about our company is ordinary. But it's been a great definitive example of organic growth, yes. um, even though it wasn't necessarily the trajectory that we had anticipated. You no. Know. What I remember is, uh, like a lot of companies start, we had hands-on skills and we wanted to start our own company, but we didn't know jack about running a business. And I remember mm-hmm. when I met with the accountant and he said, you really don't have independent contractors. You really have employees. You need to make them employees and pay them as employees. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. (laughs) So I had to learn that as well as how to weld. Um, And I grew up with my dad being a diesel mechanic and my brother doing auto body work. And I I was wet sanding and fixing and cleaning parts since I was a very young child. And then to grow that into this business and have employees and and responsibilities beyond weld this together, you know, it just mm-hmm. it was a complete learning experience the whole time. It still is. You're right on. And, and not only were you starting a restoration company, but and 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 that's not you know if that's not tough enough. <laughs> You're also building a video production company at the same time. Yes. So Kevin, um, I remember we still lived in Chicago at the time when we had started V8TV was kind of the parent base beginning company. Um, We didn't have a shop at the time. And Kevin created V8TV and he said, okay, we need to shoot a video. And I had to talk about the IVR uh, in the dash (sighs) of the 62 Galaxy. And Kevin at the time had a camera that had, he mounted the recorders, um, transmitters on top of the camera. And he put it on a tripod and he put it like, I don't know, three, four feet from my face, right? And I could see mm-hmm. myself in the lens. And then this antennas from the receivers are looking at me. And I'm like, there's like this giant bug staring at me and I can see myself. <laughs> so I got to go put makeup on and I'll be back. And mm-hmm. I was just a mess. And he, at the time we tried scripting me and Kevin or I don't do as well with scripting um, as we do just off the cuff. And wait, wait, know... wait. What page are we on now? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> if we Are'd know the... T- <laughs> yeah, I'm lost. I, I'm lost in my paragraph. I'm sorry. <laughs> if we know the topic, we can just talk about it, and, and mm-hmm. Kevin especially. And so when he was trying to script me, you could tell. I was reading it, and I was stumbling. So he educated me about the IVR, and then I went on to talk about the IVR. 
And that was much easier, but the camera freaked me out for a long time. <laughs> hmm. That's crazy that uh, I didn't forget about that experience by any stretch, but um, that you still remember the whole IVR story. Because that was, <laughs> Mike, what we were doing was building a an electronic instrument voltage regulator. That's what the IVR was. Oh, okay. And in the, in the Fords in the 60s, um, we're still trying to, storyboard out the timeline what we think is that the gauge movements um were like left over from the six volt days and they just had all these gauge movements left over that ran on six volts so even though the cars were all 12 volt in the mid 60s the dash was still six volt so there was a little step down voltage regulator from 12 to 6 that ran the gauges and they would notoriously fail and this was you know, we're talking 2004, 2005, and the internet parts resources weren't as robust as they are now, and it was hard to find these things. And you'd go to a parts store to buy one, and they would, you know, ship it in from the the hub shop, you know, two states away. And it it had been sitting on the shelf for a decade and a half, and it didn't Mm -hmm. work new. So the solution (laughs) was to use um, electronics to build an electronic solid state inter- uh, instrument uh, voltage regulator. And it was a trick that I learned from some Mopar guys because they've been doing it. And I said, well, this would be a great little project for an episode of VATV. It's a little hands-on. It's tech, you know, it's different. Here, can you do this? <laughs> <laughs> and electric is my weakness. The strong part about my electrical skills is I fit under the dash. So Kevin, oh. all the years that we were together, Kevin would say, you're looking for a yellow wire with a blue stripe. Found it. What do I do with it? Connect it to the one that's over here on the cigarette lighter. Okay. So those were my strengths. But to read the, the chart or, or to understand the voltage and all that, nah, not uh-huh. me, but I had to do the IVR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have that one too, that, that prototype IVR that we made. Yep. But so from there, it went to, uh, um, you know, at that point, like she was saying, we started that in Chicago and you were Mm -hmm. working a day job as uh, a legal assistant in Mm -hmm. a high rise in the city. And I was trying to get our show off the ground working in the basement of this house that we rented and everything was tape based. You know, the camera was a digital video camera, but it was standard def with a tape. So if you shot a half an hour tape, you had at least a half an hour of real time conversion to get it into the computer. Oh, right. Not like today where you just take the chip and grab the file, you know. Uh-huh. So if we were uh, in that particular example, we were probably out in the in the garage behind the house with the car and building the IVR for, you know, an hour and a half. So there's there's three half hour tapes that, you know, you need two hours to trans transfer all the footage over and then start editing and i did all of that oh, myself wow. and then dump it off to a beta tape and then take it to fedex as the clock is ticking for the air date the next you know two days from when it got shot Ugh. so it's kind of oh silly gosh. when we look back and think of <laughs> the stuff that we did right um but kelly was smart enough to say hey you know what we need to do we need to hire some people that know what you're doing <laughs> right yeah, well, when we started the shop, we we were very fortunate, and my parents allowed us the shop space. My dad was a retired diesel mechanic. He had all the tools. He had five-gallon buckets of bolts and nuts and screws, and we didn't have any inventory. We didn't have anything. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, looking back at that now compared to the inventory we have now, holy cow. Um mm-hmm. 
and he they helped us build shelves and build storage facilities and things that uh, we could store the car parts in. And on top of that, I created a hobby farm out there. So the goat would get on the UPS truck and the cow would run off with, you know, something. And, and the chickens and the ducks were all around. And I don't know how I had time to maintain all of this. Plus, we would eat lunch or dinner with my parents every day. We'd see them all the time. Oh um, you know, my dad would do something with a tractor and I'd come over here, I'm stuck. And I'd leave work, quote unquote work, at the shop and right. go help my dad on the farm, you know. So we just merged all kinds of things together when we first started, for sure. Well, well, that's funny you mentioned about the uh, the, the the farm, the, the animals on the mm-hmm. farm. I, I remember invariably... When I would, when I first stumbled on to, to V8 TV, um, and I started watching the videos, every so often I would see a dog or a cat <laughs> yep. in the video, and Kevin like get that dog out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. well, Kevin was always worried about the safety of the dog because oh, yeah, I did yeah, a lot of, of welding, animal, yeah. and the dog would be right next to me, and he's like, "You're going to set the dog on fire," you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was always worried about the animals. Mm-hmm. Labrador or flambe is not one of my favorite things. So <laughs> no, yes. sir, no, sir. And then of course the goat but, jumping on the cars—that was fun. Not on oh the customers' God. cars. The goat jumped on an employee's car, but not a and and your car. aunt and my aunt. Yeah, she drove up. Oh in boy. A car. <laughs> she drove up in a car, and the goat jumped on the roof. And no matter what we did, she just wanted to dance on the roof. Like would not get <laughs> off. <laughs> Brand new car, by the way. Yeah. Oh, even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I like the goats. There was a couple of them. I, I got. I like oh. all kinds of animals, but you just gotta keep them at bay. You know that that's the tricky right. part. Right. But I'll. You know, I used to make phone calls, so I, I would be the guy during the day. I'd be shooting the video of people building the cars, and then at night I would edit all that stuff. And in the meantime, you know, be talking to manufacturers about getting parts or or doing stuff, making other videos. And when our shop was still on the farm. I'd walk out to where the, the little pond is and I'd be on the phone and the chickens would all be going off and, and crowing <laughs> and the ducks would be, you know, quacking. And, and these people on the other line are like, who are you and what do you want? You know? <laughs> Kevin paces when he's on the phone and he would always pace by the chicken coop. I don't know why I didn't go somewhere else, but <laughs> we used to have to have every phone call on in the car we'd have to sit in the car to hear what was going on in a phone call we didn't have offices it was crazy oh my gosh no and the reception was better out by the chicken house and that's why oh because because of the pond the lake was right there so yep now that's that's a statement you don't hear every day the reception was better by the chickens <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's I gotta admit, I think that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and again, it was it was interesting for me because I grew up in the Chicago area, and then I lived in L.A., and then we met, and next thing you know, I'm down on the farm in this small town, and I, I, it was a kind of the reverse culture shock that Kelly had when she moved in with me in California, mm-hmm. um, and to to I went from having three offices 
in three different buildings to having to stand by the chicken house to talk on the phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I doing with my life? Yeah. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a ninth floor office at 6420 Wilshire that, you know, you could see the Hollywood sign and everything with underground parking and the whole day. And another one on Melrose across from the Paramount Studios with another underground parking structure and then our shop in Gardena, California. And now it's like... The goat's chewing on your pant leg as you're trying to make a call. And you had to drive um, down a rock road, yeah. park outside. But it was great. Mm-hmm. It was great. And I, I really dig the small town now. I, I learned to appreciate the benefits. Um, and especially because the, the digital world evolved you know, at the same time so that you know we can do this kind of stuff and be connected. And then Facebook happened and you know all that stuff. So I didn't feel yeah. as remote. Um, mm-hmm. But it's you know, it's peaceful and everything else. And, you know, to bring it full circle, I think one of the great things is that our shop is in Redbud, Illinois, which is only 3,300 people, I think, 3,400 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of our crew members, they commute a pretty good distance to get there, um, you know, an hour, hour and a half, almost, you know, wow. each way. Um, but they're there every day and they're there early and they stay late uh, because they like the environment. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a cool place to work. So, I think if you would have said back in the farm days, hey, draw up the, you know, the ideal shop situation and, and how would you make that happen? There was no way we could have even articulated this. We couldn't even envision this. No, no. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I wanted a down draft paint booth, but I didn't know it was going to take us 15 years to get it. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> no. Yeah, but right. you got it. Well, and we did, we made, made things happen along the way without having it too. We created mm-hmm. relationships with different body shops and mm-hmm. when it was time to paint something you know a SEMA car we would rent a booth or go somewhere else mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. do that yeah. and I think every once in a while it's a good thing to reflect on some of the what I will call the hassles we used to have to you know the hoops we used to jump through to get that stuff done do you remember when we were painting oh probably uh, Steve Prouty's 69 Firebird the red rowdy car mm-hmm. we rented the paint booth at that body shop Mm-hmm. And we had to bring all of our own stuff. Yeah, I remember we loaded up the the car in the trailer, and we loaded up the truck bed with every everything: tape, paper, PPS cups, uh, razor blades. Like we just really? made the giantest pile of every shop supply we could come up with. Uh, if I remember correctly, we even loaded our own jack and jack stands because we always take the wheels off the car. We just didn't want to have to ask this owner for anything more than the paint booth and we didn't want to use his company's supplies we didn't want to take advantage of anything like that Mm -hmm. so we we just kept packing mixing cups and all kinds of stuff. tables and chairs yeah yeah. and boxes oh my gosh Uh, oh my gosh it it was (laughs) it was a day just to load to go yeah and then once we got there we were able to use this paint booth after hours so the shop crew they those guys were done say at four o'clock in the afternoon right well we were there at two starting to unload our stuff without getting in their way until they were able to uh clock out and then we immediately descended on the booth and brought the car in and you wow. know started to, to make things happen it it was and then we had to get the entire car uh, in place cleaned masked wiped down color shot stripes laid out clear shot 
unmasked back out of the booth and in our trailer by the time their crew showed up the next day. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. we did so many overnights when, when we started out. We did oh wow ridiculous That's... overnights till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning or straight through. Um, we'd crazy. have a 24, 36-hour paint job because at the time, the paint companies we'd use when you'd sprayed base coat, you couldn't, and you wanted to lay out a, a stripe, you had a window, like, let's say eight hours is all you could, uh-huh. you know, leave that open without having to resand something or whatever. Before so, we could clear it, yeah. Yeah, so we would rush to get the base coat on and then lay out the stripe and then measure it for straightness and fit and align everything up and then get that clear on before that window closed, which caused a ton of overnights. Um and borrowed paint booths and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Oh, the wow. reloaded paint job was 36 hours straight. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. And when I say straight, I mean, the only time the work stopped was like when one coat was shot and you'd step out of the booth and sit down and wait for something to dry. Yeah, you have flash time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then get back into it. And Good heavens. The, so the vision at the time was like, oh, man, if we could control a paint booth. You know, we, we could change everybody's life. <laughs> Nathan was a painter at that point. He wouldn't have to be, you know, pumping energy drinks straight into his veins to, you know, to stay awake to do these crazy jobs. My goodness. Uh, now, this is when you were still working out of the farm. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But then wow. when we, we finally advanced into the, the facility we're in now, um, mm-hmm. It had a paint facility. It wasn't as nice as what we wanted. We still painted some very nice cars there, the, you know, a mm-hmm. whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still wasn't ideal. And and Kelly always had her eye on the building next door that that had the much better technology. So um, eventually that that happened. And and one of the things that I was not expecting is I knew we would have a bigger footprint with a, a bigger building and the ability to have more cars and more people. But the efficiencies that picked up were tremendous and all of a sudden things are getting done so much faster which is wonderful for the customer and the crew was happy because they could they could get work done and not have to be in somebody else's way or whatever uh-huh. but in the front half of the building it's like oh my gosh that car is almost finished we gotta we gotta make sure there's something to do for everybody you know so mm-hmm. it really you know kind of refocused my efforts on on sharing what we do with the world so that people are interested to call us to have them work on their cars you know right on. and i was talking to somebody recently um about uh bob vila and and this old house right yeah so you watch bob vila everybody's watched bob vila you watch you know and, and what was his name norm abrams that took over i guess mm-hmm. in your life did you ever have the thought of i'm gonna call bob vila up to work on my house <laughs> no you never did i have not no because it's a tv show you're like oh mm-hmm. that's that's a guy on tv and i think even today people watch either our television show or they watch our youtube videos and they don't make the connection that they can call us and and hire <laughs> us to build their car we can call it and, and i'll even answer the phone and i'll book your appointment yeah, yeah. right yeah. yeah chances are you know now uh we, we brought in a gentleman named joe who's uh, uh doing a lot of those calls and doing a really good job of it but that's that's a thing you know so sometimes people do call because our number is in the the youtube videos and i'll answer and they're like hey you sound just like that guy <laughs> <laughs> or they'll say kevin Ke- kevin i'm on the phone with kevin right 
Yes, you're really on the phone yes. with Kevin, <laughs> that guy. It's a big letdown. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, it it is pretty wild to see uh, to see how far it's come, and 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 the other crucial thing, and you know, when I said before that you were smart enough to hire people to kind of orchestrate which people to hire and where to put them, uh, I think was. It's another one of the things that separates V8 Speed and Resto from other shops because a lot of times the person doing the work is also the person answering the door and answering the phone. And we're fortunate enough to have evolved beyond that to where Kelly and I aren't doing the work on the cars anymore because she's hired people that are far better than us to do those you know, tasks, very passionate team members. Um, but also they're, they're not – they're kind of specialists. You know, we've got the specialized mechanics, the specialized metal guys, the specialized paint yeah. body guys, and these, you know, the interior shop. And the difference there is that, you know, sometimes you see shops where you have one person that's like really uber talented and today they're mm-hmm. building an engine and tomorrow they're welding. And then the next day they're painting the car. Um, but it's in our case, our team is, they, they all cross over. So it, you know, our painter can build an engine, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's not what he's, optimal at it's not his super super right. strength um so we have the people with their strengths doing the stuff day in day out that they're really really good at um yeah. and and that just benefits everybody too and that was kind of a strategy that you picked up in the law firm yeah and what i think is really cool is our crew has this mutual admiration like you said if our painter is so talented and he knows the engine parts and and he can turn a wrench easily, but he admires the skill set of our mechanics or our mechanics admire the skill set of our fabricators, even though they, they can all weld. And, and that, I think, is what's making it such a great team is when I tried to find uh, someone who had their best skill set, you know, like Jeff, our painter, and then he and I talked and I said, well, in the interview, I said, Tell me about your mechanical experience. Tell me about your electrical experience. Do you know how to weld? And I tried to find employees across the board in every department who had their special skill, but also could help or have knowledge of uh, a different department or all the departments. And what I find that is so good is, uh, again, going back to Jeff, he's painting a water pump, for example. But he knows that he's painting a water pump and he knows which side is up and down and which is the front and which is the back. And, mm-hmm. you know, if he's got a paint run or something, he knows he's got mm-hmm. to fix it. Or if he knows he's got to mask something off because it's a mm-hmm. gasket surface. Um, the, he also knows that if he sees a weld, if it is not completely finished or it doesn't lap like we want them to for safety purposes, Mm -hmm. he'll point that out to the fabricator and say, before I paint this, this needs to be welded more, or can you grind down this this spot or something? Mm -hmm. Um, So each of our guys have that eye to help the other department and pay attention to those kind of things. And I think it just, Mm -hmm. it makes a phenomenal team that way. Yeah, that certainly creates a a great synergy in Mm -hmm. the shop to uh, put out an even better product. So right on. Right. Well, and you don't, you know, you don't have to like the people you work with, um, but in our case, I think they do. They just, I mean, it's obvious yeah. they, everybody likes to hang around after work and have a, a drink or tell jokes or whatever. Um, but I've seen, especially through Kelly's brother, who used to, you know, kind of moonlight with us many years ago, uh-huh. his stories of coming home from a collision shop every day were just awful. 
because oh. it was every department against the other department. So it was like the mechanics were against the the collision tax and the the body men were against the painters and the painters were against the preppers and everybody was against the front office and the whole building was <laughs> against the insurance company, you know, and the, the paint rep and everything. And it was like, wow. And and you'd hear stuff like stories of other shops where you know the painter didn't care what the part looked like or what the car looked like if it got put in front of him he painted it and that was it and then pushed it out the door Mm -hmm. you know not my fault you know it's your body work you know we don't have any of that kind of attitude which is so nice and we created the internal customer too where uh, if something is going to leave the fab shop the body guy checks it and then before it gets done at the body shop the painter checks the body shops guy and they help each other and that is Mm -hmm. just seemingly unheard of but i think very important to the finished product for the customer as well as for the team to help each other extremely important mm-hmm. i could not agree more yeah you you you've really dialed in and tapped into something really special out there so yep. i wish every place had that well for right. me it uh, it it went from an environment where i would have to you know, be more part of that team because there was just a couple of us doing the work uh, mm-hmm. to now where I walk through and I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. How'd you do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right on. Uh, and, and just today, as a matter of fact, I kind of kind of got back to the beginning because uh, I was actually turning wrenches today, Mike. Do you believe that? Really? On the 62 Ford Galaxy. <gasps> What? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what? what? <laughs> I, need a, I need a moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. pray tell. What, well, what, uh, what were we turning around? I don't on? remember what song it was, but in August, Kevin and I left our house on our way to the shop the day of the V8 Speed and Resto Shop drive in. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kevin was driving, the top was down, it was a beautiful morning, and we cranked up the radio, and I was bebopping in the seat and having a good time and snapping (laughs) and arms in the air because the convertible top was down, and all of a sudden, things just didn't feel right in the car. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him, and he was kind of... Osti is very good at disguising if he's concerned about the car. Very good at it. So I kind of tried to watch him and I kept feeling the gas altering up and down and the shifting not so up and down. So I stopped singing and dancing and I I said, did we just blow the transmission? (laughs) To which... Blow is a strong word. We think something broke in the transmission. So we got it to Redbud. We did not take it to the drive-in theater and it has been parked Mm -hmm. since in storage very sad and uh here we've had some 60 degree weather days and i said you know springtime's coming can we get that transmission fixed so we attempted today but i don't think it went well (laughs) well and and you were telling me something of what you think it might be so did is that what you're investigating right so our last episode of the podcast we talked about how i wanted to pull a trigger and do the holly sniper efi swap on the car and and make some upgrades and um, in the meantime, you know, as soon as it broke, I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe we're going to get lucky and it might be just a stuck valve in the transmission. Let's change the fluid, drive it around the block a few times, beat on it, see if we can get it to shift. Well, of course, that didn't, that didn't happen. So then it got parked. 
And I didn't really put a whole lot of time into researching what was going on because I was looking up the, the rebuild cost. I thought maybe I'll just, we, you know, today we've got some resources. We'll call our local trans guy that does a lot of great work for us. And it was like two grand to rebuild this transmission. I was like, oh my gosh. So wow. then I was ex- investigating, you know, kind of always wanted a five-speed manual on that thing. We've had this conversation before. But, uh, you know, yesterday Kelly was like, well, you know, what do you think this is? And and I did a little research and I found that the 4R70W automatic overdrive transmission is known for a particular failure, which is very similar to what I've experienced. And when you take the pan down and take the valve body out, there's a snap ring that holds a thing called the overdrive accumulator piston. And the piston moves up and down as you shift the car and it comes down hard on this o-ring it's a snap ring not an o-ring a snap ring Mm -hmm. and sometimes the snap ring can shatter and a piece of the snap ring falls into the valve body and it blocks a valve from allowing it to go into overdrive and that's what the car is doing it's it's going it's neutraling in overdrive is what they call it so i find this fix online i watch a video this guy has you know here it's easy take this thing down you know you'll see it right away so i told kelly i'm like you know what i think i can probably you know fix this thing for a five buck part in a couple hours worth of time and then we can at least drive it and enjoy it for a little while and and, and then do our efi swap because the, the parts are finally starting to come in for the efi swap uh you know we're, we're victims of back order just like everybody else um uh-huh. and uh so i brought the <laughs> i go into the shop and i talked to rod our shop manager and i said uh can i throw a, a monkey wrench into this thing we're supposed to have a nice weekend um can i get can I get on a, a drive on lift? And he's like, well, you know, that one's moving off and that one's open. Yeah, yeah sure. You can use that, that lift. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm thinking about trying to fix the galaxy. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Go get it. So Trevor and I go down to the storage unit where the car has been stored for six months, put the jump box on it. I do have to say, I did not know this, but they put a cover on the car when it was in storage. That was nice. Aww. Disconnected Aww, the battery and everything. Nice. So it was clean. and, on, and See, it was our boys nice. are so awesome. Aww. They are. And uh, we got it fired up, drive it back to the shop. It didn't fix itself in storage. I was a little little bit hoping. (laughs) And uh, put it on the lift, drop the pan, take the valve body apart. And lo and behold, the snap ring was fine. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Shuckers. Oh, that was a big shucks. You got me. You got me. Yeah. And, but part of this was an interesting exercise because, again, I got to work in the shop, which I normally don't get a chance to do very often anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where you find things that need to be tuned up, you know, because sometimes I'll go in on the weekend and it's like I'm going to go in the fab shop and I want to make something. And, and, I'm not there every day, so I don't know where everything is, and I get frustrated, or I find uh-huh. that you know a tool needs attention, or the welding tank's out of gas, or whatever, and then you get done about a quarter of what you wanted to. Well, today, um, because Tell my them where own, you got the tools from uh, today, Osteen? Yeah, I was getting there. My own toolbox <laughs> is off-sited now. It's no longer right there in the mechanic shop where it used to be. The you know my roll cab of SK Tools. So I knew that there was a pretty. Uh, uh, well-stocked pair of toolboxes in the bed of Kelly's new truck. It's her tools. So I went and grabbed her toolboxes and (laughs) dragged them in. And you know, the great thing about that was I put them right on the cart and I didn't have to go for anything else. It had the screwdrivers of the, you know, the electric impact and all the stuff that I needed was right there. 
So it came apart real quickly, and, and uh, again, I found out that the snap ring was not broken. But I thought, maybe I'll clean up the valve body and free something up. You know, maybe it will work after all. And uh, one of our technicians, Caleb, came by, and he said, you know, sometimes, you know, around here, you take things apart, and you don't find anything, you put it back together, and it works. And I said, well, it's never <laughs> happened that happen? to me <laughs> in my life. But Trevor pointed out that on that 38 Chevy we're building, we had a brand new GM crate motor that... We took it out of the crate, put it in the car, fired it up, and it made a noise. And mm. GM asked us to check a couple things. So Trevor pulled the pan, looked at the bearings, couldn't find anything, put it back together, dead silent. So the theory worked in that case. So I'm like, here, Trevor, you know, touch this transmission <laughs> for me because maybe this will help. Um, got it all back together, put fluid in it, drove it around the block, and it still does the exact same thing as it did before. Uh, bummer. That was a bummer, but I did not have yeah. any major frustrations in doing the work, which tells you that, you know, the, the shop efficiency is there, you know, uh, mm-hmm. all the supplies were there. I didn't have to go to the parts store and get, you know, brake cleaner or anything. We were very well stocked. Uh, you know, I could see the light was there, the everything, everything worked. So it was only a couple hours in and out. Um, probably the first time oh, when nice. I said, yeah, this is going to be a couple hour job. And it truly only <laughs> was a couple hour job. Nice. <laughs> But really nice. Didn't have the outcome we wanted, so it got put away again. So, well, on on the flip side of that, I was just helping um, a friend of my wife. Uh, they drive a, a an O2 Buick Rendezvous, and the rear ball joint blew out on them. Oh. When they were right by our house. So, and they, they they don't necessarily have the resources to to take it to a shop and get it fixed. And and everybody knows that. I can work on cars, so my <laughs> wife's looking at me. She's like, "Michael, you're gonna help them, right?" I'm like, oh, "Fine." <laughs> so they called. They called the tow truck, and it was like just down the street from my house. Had it brought to my garage, and uh, it was up, uh, jacked it up, and the 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 stark contrast of having everything next to you, and 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 have it being well lit, is is. Is nice because in my garage it's not well lit, and I'm getting up and down, up and down, up and down, grabbing some tools. Is this gonna fit? No, this doesn't fit. You end up with a pile of stuff next to you. <laughs> you're kicking it as you're as you're moving around because you don't have a lift. You just have it jacked up. You're sitting on the floor, and your knees are killing you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, man, I wish I had a nice shop. I wish I had a lift. I gotta get a lift. This would be so great. It but um, makes a big difference. But it, it was nice of you to help your buddy out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've all been there. I've, you know, people have helped me and you guys have helped me and, you know, just, it feels good to pay it forward and, you know, do something nice for somebody with, you know, not expecting anything in return from them. So, Mm -hmm. so that's, that was, uh, you know, that was my good deed of the week. Good job, Mike. Thank you. Well, you're right. And it even, and it even worked. How about that? Yay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. A good a good facility makes that work enjoyable and not a uh, a burden, you know. Mm-hmm. But I can hear a collective uh, quickening of, of the pulse <laughs> of our listening <laughs> audience as they wonder the answers to our trivia questions. And we have three of them now, so we got to you know give yeah, a little time we'll burn through this. Uh, that's yeah. right. So uh, Kelly, you went first, so I guess you have to reveal the answers that Mike and I both got wrong to your trivia question. Okay, 
Um, the question was, what company did Henry Ford need to get permission from to use Mercury as a model name? The answer is Kissel, K-I-S-S-E-L-L. Ah, criminy, what? <laughs> Kissel? <laughs> the rights to use the Mercury name were purchased by Edsel for Ford Motor, according to a noted Ford Model T historian, Jarvis Erickson. After Edsel had bought a Mercury Speedster in 1922 for his personal use. So. So Mercury had a Speedster before the Zephyr and the other cars you mentioned. They had huh. a Speedster. Wow. And, and Kissel owned the name, huh? Yes. Kissel also uh, manufactured, I think, like fire trucks. So when you said Firestone, I was like, ah! <laughs> All right, but so they, we're both right. I was so close. <laughs> Kissel manufactured so close. fire trucks, and they had a really cool um, Mercury logo, and that's why uh, he had to get it from them. I got you. Yeah, okay, wrong. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Wow, we're both wrong. That doesn't happen often. Yeah. Well, yeah. <coughs> thanks, Trevor, for helping me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Yeah. That sounds like him. I can hear him <laughs> saying the word Kissel. <laughs> and and pushing his hair back. Yes, yeah. and then a, and then a story where I just start to glaze over, and he just goes on. <laughs> so that is empathy for our listeners who glaze over as we go on. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right, Mr. Q, your question was my question was what was the firing order of a Chevy small block? Yeah, total fail on Kelly's part. Whoops. And Kelly said like 12, <laughs> like 8, 11, 15, Nine. 9, yeah, 26, yeah. 85, 32, which was really close, but not quite there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kevin said 18436572, rattled it right off, yep. and ding, 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 you are a winner, sir. Of course, Osteen knew the answer. Yeah. Well, that was one that uh, that was a fun trivia question to know when you're in high school. You mm-hmm. know that, and back at the time, there was also what were the ten sizes of small block Chevy displacements? Oh, two sixty two, two sixty five, yeah. two sixty seven, two eighty three, three hundred two, three hundred five, three hundred seven, three twenty seven, three fifty four hundred. Tune in nice. next week, kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another Jeez. one blown. Another great trivia question. Blown out the window. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's all good. It's all, uh, good. all right. Well, my question to you guys was, um, had nothing to do with our guest. Are you when... kidding? <laughs> hey, maybe we should address who when... got pulled over the last roast recent. Hmm. <gasps> Shots fired. I'm Shots sorry. fired. <laughs> who, who got who got what last? Who got pulled over most recently? You. No. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, and I can say that <laughs> because you get pulled over all the time and don't tell me. I just. I did not. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's that poker face again. I did not get pulled over <laughs> since you got pulled over. When did I get pulled over? Just last week. I'm going to be late. I I got pulled over. I was in Arizona. Okay, the week before that. Sorry. Oh, I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't really... Well, I was speeding. You were speeding. I was coming home to see you. Oh, he's speeding to see me. Well, 
Great recovery. Great recovery. <laughs> okay. All right. So What's when was the first speeding ticket issued? And the bonus, what type of car was it in? And Did Mikey it have anything said, to do with the speed limit being in 55? I mean, 55 miles per hour? Did they correlate no, at all? it had nothing to do with that, as a matter of fact. So, okay. uh, so Mike said it was in 1902 uh-huh. in a steam car. <laughs> And Kelly said it was in 1962 in something fast like a 1962 Daytona. Which they don't make those. Backtrack of which they didn't really make. (laughs) But whatever. I don't care. (laughs) 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 What a great impression. (laughs) Yeah. The, f- the correct answer is the first speeding infraction in the United States was committed by a New York City taxi driver oh. on mm. May 20th, 1899. What? Eight- Look how close I was. <laughs> You're very close. Bam! And this, this chap, um, his name was Jacob German, who uh, was caught doing a blistering 12 miles an hour down Lexington Street, Manhattan. The speed limit was 8 mile an hour on straightaways and 4 miles per hour when turning. But one of the reasons why he was able to do this is because he uh, drove for the electric vehicle company. Oh, man. And the bonus was what type of car? It was an electric car. For a speeding oh, ticket. Nah, 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 nah. Yep, what? yep, yep, yep. I was, I was good with the alternative fuel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Steam. In 18 <laughs> what? 1899. You know what this is going to turn into. You're going to have to tell me the whole story and explain an electric car in 1899. To me. Later. Not now. Tune in next time, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's outstanding. So, um, let's see. Kelly's question, we both got wrong. Mike's question, mm-hmm. I got right. Kelly got wrong. My question, you both got wrong. So, yeah. Kevin's the big winner. Oh, he's always the winner. <laughs> uh, I got lucky on that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well played, sir. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll real, get him next time, Kelly. Real quick, what's the status of Mike's motor? Oh, Mike's motor is getting heads uh, rebuilt uh, right as we speak by our friend Eric. And uh, when those are returned, then uh, I will be able to burn forward with the final assembly. Well, by Eric Bacon. He works for Bacon. so Okay. Yeah. He likes make him get it done faster. I'll get him all the bacon he wants. <laughs> it's got to be good no bacon. With it. you got to go to a... Oh, it'll be good bacon. Yeah. It'll be good bacon. Go to a butcher. Yeah. I, I bribe him with bacon that was uh, cut by our friend Red Lair, who owns that 64 Galaxy uh, 428 car that we work on. His day oh, job yeah. is they own a, a butcher shop, and uh, Red fully understands the currency of the bacon. Yes. Okay. Well, we have a good butcher shop in downtown Plainfield. I will go visit them quickly I don't, and get that done. I don't believe yeah. you. You don't believe me? No. Well, you're going to believe it when I send you some bacon. There call. we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, made you sit through this whole thing, but I get bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this was a little bit different because we had our, our uh, in virtual studio guest, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us. It was thank a lot you of fun. for having mm-hmm. me participate. It was fun to go down memory lane a little bit. 
and uh, uh, continue the excellent work. And uh, uh, thanks for listening. Right on. Yay. Well, it's always fun. Good, good. And uh, Mike, because, you know, we're we're making a couple of improvements. We we brought in a guest. Uh, I also thought we might uh, add a little segment at the end to close the show out. I'm calling this uh, One for the Road. Ready? Um, let's do it. So thanks to everybody for listening uh, to VA Radio. You can find us, uh, of course, we've got to do the plug, right? You can find us on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Podbean, Podchaser, VA Radio, and a few others. Uh, and uh, please subscribe because it makes it easier. But uh, your, your parting thought, one for the road, may your lifetime warranted car parts never deem them. Nice. <laughs> Not quite the reaction I, uh, I was expecting. Let me try a different may one. Your, may your lifetime warranty car parts never need them. Never, never need them. Well, that oh. is that is a nice sentiment. It's very nice. Yeah, that I, is I'll, a nice I'll, sentiment. Let me try another one. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I got a million Our of them. Parting thought: <laughs> one for the road. May your pa- uh, take two. Oh. May you. <laughs> <laughs> is this, this where sounds we like on uh, Mike's anger meter. Yeah, Mike's been doing some. Mike's been doing some voiceover for us. You might have heard on some VA TV videos, uh, doing a great job. The outtake reel is precious. Uh, we we might do an edited version as a bonus if you listen all the way through this far. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe next time. All right, one for the road. May you park your muscle car between people who appreciate it more than you do. Ooh. Oh. That I like. Yeah. There you go. That I like. Cheers to that. And we will see you next time on VA Radio.